Good morning. If you would please stand for the reading of the word. All right, this is Luke chapters 2, starting in verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, you guys never see. Thank you, Micah. You know, sometimes I like to sort of imagine... Uh, conversations maybe that go on in heaven, conversations that we can't really know anything about, conversations that God has not told us anything about. Um, but, I, you know, I wonder about this Christmas story and um, the conversations maybe that God himself had with the angels. In First Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us that angels longed to look into these things. Like, they didn't even know some of the, the whole story, right? Angels are not all-knowing like God is. And so maybe they had questions. Maybe they wondered some things, right? What was going on here? And I like to think that maybe in this moment, right, when God was sending his son, and he, and he knows, and the angels know, man, the son, the son of God, the word, he's going to the earth. He's, he's going to save and redeem all the people of God. It's coming to pass. It's coming to fulfillment. And, and God pulls the angels in. He says, all right, you guys, y'all are going to go and announce to these, these shepherds that the child is born. They're like, where? Where is he born? Is it, is it Jerusalem? And God's like, it's, it's not Jerusalem. Oh, okay, it must be Rome because Rome is the big power now. Rome's the big city. Rome's the one where everybody goes. All the important people are in Rome. It's not Rome. Or maybe it's Sinai. Maybe it's that mountain of God where Moses received those Ten Commandments. And now the real word of God is coming again. And he's going to come down and Mary and Joseph will be there on the mountain. And the, it's, not, it's not Sinai. Aware, God. Bethlehem. And I just imagine maybe if that conversation went on, I don't know. But the angels are like, Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? And that's the, that's the question I want us to think about today. Why Bethlehem? It's the name of today's message as we think about that. Um, so I want to walk with you a little bit through some Old Testament passages. And I want to hopefully answer that question for our hearts and our minds today to think about Bethlehem, this little tiny town of Bethlehem, this unimportant, seemingly unknown town where the Savior of the world would come to Bethlehem. We actually see Bethlehem several places throughout the Bible. The first place we actually meet Bethlehem is in Genesis chapter 35. 
starting in verse 16 through 21. If you know some of this story, there's a, a guy named Jacob. And Jacob is the, the, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, right? So Jacob and, and his family, they're traveling around. They're kind of moving from place to place. And Jacob and his wife, Rachel, is with child. She's about to give birth to a son. And as they're traveling, they come to a place and Rachel begins to go into labor. And she has a lot of complications as she's in labor and she gives birth to her child. But right before she dies, she names him Benoni, which means son of my sorrow as she dies giving birth to this child, Benoni. And so she passes away, but then Jacob renames this child later Benjamin or Benjamin, what we would say Benjamin, which means not son of my sorrow, but son of my right hand. And then it says that Jacob moves on a little bit further to this place called Migdal Eider, which is right outside of the town of Ephrathah, which would later be called Bethlehem that this woman dies giving birth to a child, and a child with, with two names, in a town with two names. So right at the very beginning, even from Genesis, we see that there's something unique and weird about Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a place sort of of a contradiction, a place of complexity, a place of sorrow and yet rejoicing, a place where a son, Ben-Onai, would be born, son of my sorrow, and yet he would be renamed Ben-Hamin, son of my right hand a place where a woman would give birth to a child. And even the name Bethlehem, Ephrathah, has two names. And Bethlehem itself means two different things. It means both house of bread and house of war. Very contradictory terms there, right? Place of bread, of plenty, of plentifulness, of abundance, right? But also a place of, of war and conflict, a place without peace. And so there just seems to be something about Bethlehem that seems so so kind of weird and contradictory, right, in its nature. And then we meet Bethlehem again in the book of Ruth. And a lot of you guys know the book of Ruth. Ruth uh, kind of opens up with this woman named Naomi. And Naomi lives in a, a, a land with her husband and her two sons and her two sons' wives, Ruth and this woman named Orpah. And then Naomi's husband dies. And then Ruth's husband dies, Naomi's son. And then Orpah's husband dies, Naomi's other son. And so Naomi is left with just her two daughters-in-law. And she tells her two daughters-in-law when she decides, I'm going to go back to my husband's hometown. She tells her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, she says, you guys go back to your people. Go back to your homes. Go back where you're from. And Orpah says, okay, I'll go back to my family. And she does, and they part ways. But Ruth, Ruth stays. Ruth remains with Naomi. And she says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Naomi and Ruth go back to the ancestral hometown of Naomi's husband, a place known as Bethlehem. They go to this little town. And upon arriving in Bethlehem, again, we see this sort of contradictory nature of things that happen in Bethlehem because Naomi shows up in Bethlehem. Naomi's name means plentiful. And yet she tells everybody, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And so again, two different names, two different things going on at once. And as we read through the story of the book of Ruth, we see that out of such bitterness comes this redemption because Ruth actually meets a man named Boaz and they get married and they have a child and Naomi is actually given this child to raise. And so Ruth and Naomi both go from being these kind of helpless widows to being these, these women who are now blessed by God. And so we see in the story of, of Bethlehem, again, just such contradiction, such complexity of what's going on around this little town, Right? And the son that, that Ruth bears to Boaz, his name is Obed. Obed means servant. And two generations later, 
the prophet Samuel would show up to that little town and he would come looking for the grandson of Obed. And his name was David. And he would be crowned a king. And so again, in Bethlehem, a child born who was a servant of servants and a child crowned who would be a king of kings in this little town of Bethlehem. So many interesting things, so much contradiction, so much complexity. And then even in the prophets, we see Bethlehem as again, this this little seemingly insignificant place that's just so complex in its history. We see the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 15. Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Here's what Jeremiah would write about Bethlehem. Jeremiah 31, 15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah. That's a town just north of Bethlehem. Mourning and great weeping. Rachel, remember Rachel who died giving birth? Benoni, son of my sorrow. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And so Rachel is sort of used as the the prototypical matriarch now of all the children uh, in this area, the children of Bethlehem who would die there, both in the Babylonian exile, which is when Jeremiah was writing, but also hundreds of years later in the birth of Christ. Because if you know the, the birth story of Jesus, King Herod hears about this and what does he do? He issues a decree that all the children in Bethlehem would be killed. So again, this place of birth and yet a place of unspeakable tragedy and death written about by Jeremiah. And then Micah, the prophet Micah, chapter four, verse eight, says this, as for you, O watchtower of the flock. And I want to pause there. O watchtower of the flock. That's the same place where after Rachel died, it says Jacob moved on a little bit further to the watchtower of the flock. And he camped there after Rachel died in childbirth. And there he named his son, Benjamin, son of my right hand at this watchtower, this, this old tower that was a military outpost at one point in history and now has just become sort of a, a shepherd's lookout tower. This watchtower in the middle of the fields outside of this town of Bethlehem. And Micah writes about this watchtower. He says, as for you, watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Note the language, daughter of Zion. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to who? The daughter of Jerusalem, not a man, a woman, a woman would give birth to the king of in Jerusalem is what he's saying, right? He says, why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your counselor perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor. Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. And then in chapter five, verse two, Micah writes this, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who is ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so again, in the prophets, we see this kind of difficult, contradictory history of this place, the place of the birth of a child and the slaughter of many children the place of great mourning and of great joy, a place where a cruel king would seek to murder every male child and where the eternal king would become one. Bethlehem, this interesting place. Why Bethlehem? Because this is life, isn't it? Like that story, is that not our story? Is this not life? Are we not complicated? 
Are our lives not contradictory, both sad and happy, both mourning and rejoicing, both suffering and blessing, both pain and pleasure, both fear and hope? This is us. This is who we are. Are we not Bethlehem? People of such complications and contradictions. Are we not simultaneously people who are capable of so much good and so much bad in our lives? Are we not one day happy and the next day sad? Are we not one day content and the next day anxious? Are we not one day hopeful and the next day fearful? Are we not created by God, for God, to know God and be in relationship with God and be loved by God and to love God? And yet in our unrighteousness, are we not rebels against him? Sinners, enemies of our creator, adversaries of our greatest advocate. We are made to live and subsist on the bread of life and truth and the water of his love. And yet in our sinful nature, we'd rather die hungry and thirsty apart from him. And even in Christ, we are saints. Yes. And yet we are sinners. Guys, we are walking contradictions. Are we not? We're, we're just complex. We're just complicated. All of us creatures, fearfully and wonderfully made, absolutely, yet as fickle and fragile as a vapor in the wind. And so why Bethlehem? Why this place? Because God wanted the birth of his son, I think, to be in a place, y'all, that we could all identify with, a place that we could understand. You know, again, maybe the angels or other people would think maybe it should be Rome, where the most powerful and the greatest people would go. But the reality is Rome's too great. Rome's too powerful. We can't understand Rome. Maybe Jerusalem. Maybe Jesus should have come to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is too religious, too pious, too wonderful, too important. Maybe Mount Sinai, that, that mountain of the Lord, but that's a place where only a few people in history have ever been able to set foot. It's a place too holy, too separate, too unreachable. It had to be Bethlehem. This place, this once a military outpost, now a shepherd's town. Once a place with rich threads of biblical history, now shrouded in obscurity. A place of sorrow and of joy, of tragedy and redemption. A place so critically important to redemptive history that it inspired the awe of the prophets and yet so ordinary and so unassuming that it could be the home to the most common men of the day. A place that men forgot and God remembered. Is that not you and me? people that other people so often forget, and God never does. And that's us. We're Bethlehem. And that night, we're told that Bethlehem became the host to some of the most contradictory and seemingly uh, out-of-sorts characters and moments in all of human history. Shepherds, outcasted and untrusted by society, invited to bear witness to the birth of the Messiah. An inn that was designed to house weary travelers turning away a husband and a wife expecting a child. And even in the spiritual realm, Revelation chapter 12 tells us that the devil was there that night, the dragon waiting to devour the son who would be born of this woman. And yet what do we see in the fields outside Bethlehem? But the angel armies of God surrounding this place, rejoicing in the coming of their king. So once again, this tiny town has become a military outpost as it was in ancient days. And as this battle rages between the forces of darkness and the hosts of heaven, Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem, lay their newborn child safely in a manger. And maybe the most paradoxical of all, the mother herself and the child himself, a virgin mother, 
and a child who's both God and man. Perfectly human and eternally divine. A child who is the fulfillment of everything said and done in Bethlehem for centuries past. A child like Obed, who was the servant of servants and a child in the line of David who would be the king of kings, a child who in his human life would certainly be Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow, who would know more suffering and rejection and temptation and hatred and betrayal and pain and loss and humiliation than anyone has ever known, who would humble himself and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And a child who, in his resurrection from the dead, would ascend again to heaven and forevermore be with the Father as his son of his right hand. Why Bethlehem? Because as complicated and as contradictory, as paradoxical as its history was, this little imperfect town was the perfect place for the gift that God would give the world that night. And here's the gift. It's the gift of peace. It's the gift of peace to the whole world. What could we possibly need more than peace? Name one thing that we need more than the peace of God in our lives. We are who, who are so double-minded, so contradictory, so duplicitous in our nature. We strive to live as saints, and yet we daily fall as sinners we long to be in right relationship with God of the universe, yet we cannot help but love and cling to the things of this world. It is peace, y'all. It is peace that we so desperately need in our lives. Like every lowly sinner, sinner in the world, we need peace. Like every person whose year has been marked by contradictions and complications and complexities, like Bethlehem itself, we need this more than anything. We need peace and peace is exactly what God intended in the gift of his son. As the angels appeared to the shepherds and proclaimed that night in Luke chapter 2, we read again. He said, glory to God in the highest. This is what the angels proclaimed. Of course, glory to God in the highest. We know glory to God in the highest. God is glorious. God is eternally wonderful. And of course, the coming of his son, the coming of the Messiah, that would give God more glory than anything else. We understand and we know that God would receive in this gift all glory for all time in the highest of heavens. But here's the question, what about on earth? Glory to God in the highest, absolutely. What about in Bethlehem? What about in my life? What about in your life? What do we get from the glory of God in the highest? And the angel continues and he answers, on earth, peace, peace to men on whom God's favor rests, peace. Could there be a better place than Bethlehem to make that announcement? That God has provided us with the peace that we so desperately needed and which we are so hopelessly incapable of creating for ourselves. Again, are we not all like Bethlehem Ephrathah, a fruitful house of bread one day and a house of war the next day? So why Bethlehem? Here's why. Because if God could come to Bethlehem, then he could come to us. Maybe the better question is not, why Bethlehem? Maybe the better question is, why us? Why you? 
Why me? Why in the world would God come to us? Why would he give us the gift of his own son to be Emmanuel, God with us? But he has. He has come. He has come to Bethlehem. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he has come because of his great mercy and his great love for us. He has come bearing a gift. Christ has come with a gift of his own, a gift so refreshingly simple, so refreshingly uncomplicated to our complicated lives. The gift is the gift of peace to all who receive the good news of great joy. It's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is the gift we receive. For all who trust in this suffering servant who was crucified for our sins, peace. For all who worship the resurrected God's right hand, peace. For all who would do this one thing, place your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, peace. So uncomplicated, so simple for our complex lives. And he just wanted to give us that gift. Here it is. You look to him. You trust in him. You seek after him. You follow him. You rejoice in him. You praise him. When everything else in your life goes to hell, you look to him. Peace. He is our peace. Romans 5 verse 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Apostle John writes this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. John says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you hear it? Do you hear the good news in this? Do you hear the, the simplicity of this? That sometimes you and I, we want to put on pretense. We want to put on a mask. We want to pretend that we're not messed up. We want to pretend that we're not sinners, we want to pretend that we don't need a savior. And John's just writing this to go, stop it. Stop the pretense. Stop being so complex. Stop being so complicated. I'm trying to make it simple. You just look to him. You are a hypocrite sometimes. Can we just confess this? You are complex. You are complicated. You are duplicitous in your nature. Good sometimes, bad sometimes. You get it right sometimes. You get it wrong sometimes. And yet the one has come because of all of our imperfections to come and be born for our salvation, to give us peace. How would he give us peace? John writes, by being the atoning sacrifice for our sins. By being the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That he, Jesus, this one born in that little town of Bethlehem, he did that so that he could move five miles north at the end of his life to Jerusalem. And then he would die on a cross for us. Guys, listen, you are not right with God. You do not have peace with God because you're a perfect person. You have peace with God because you believe in a perfect person. You believe in the one 
who came to Bethlehem, that tiny little imperfect messed up town, and you believe in the one who came to you, that tiny little imperfect messed up self, to redeem us and restore us and to save us. And what did the angels say when they sang God's praise that night? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. God's favor rests on every person who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Peace is the offer today. Peace. Listen, I know life is full of unpeaceful moments. I mean, you're probably going to experience that over the next 24, 48 hours. And I'm not saying those things don't matter because those things do, and they're hard. We have to walk through those things at times of family and relationships and job and finances and whatever else, all the difficult things that try to steal our peace. But my encouragement to you, even though as hard as those things are and as real as those things are, my encouragement to all of us today is, man, that we would just remember that God has sent his son to be the prince of peace. And he said that his favor rests on us. So no matter what you're going through right now, man, if that's true for you, that God's favor rests on you, that he is pleased with you in Christ, guys, that should give us so much joy and so much hope, even through the hardest of circumstances in our lives. So that's my encouragement today. The favor of God rests on you if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Peace is his offer. So listen, if you want to be powerful and important and famous, go to Rome. You want to be religious, you want to be self-righteous, go to Jerusalem. But if you want to be right with God, you go to Bethlehem. It's, it's a lot closer than you think it is. It's close as a prayer, a word of praise on your lips to the God who has come, not just to Bethlehem, but to us, God with us. So let's bow our heads. I want to just pray with you this morning before we continue to, to sing to him. And I want to kind of pray for two different groups right now. The first, I just want to pray for those in this room right now. If you are sitting here and you just know that you're actually not even a Christian right now, that you've never put your faith in this one. You've never come to him. You've never looked to him and turned from sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you have, I want you to be praying right now for everybody in this room who has not. And if that's you, if you need to know God through Jesus Christ, if you want to come and put your faith in him right now, it's as simple as praying this. God, I know I'm a sinful person. I know I have rejected you in my own sinfulness. I have turned from you. I have done things that you have said to not do. I have not done things that you have said to do. But I turn from my sin and I put my faith today in your son, Jesus Christ. Forgive me of my sins. And if you would pray that today, you can know that you have peace with God. And for everybody else, if you are following Jesus, just with our heads bowed, I just want to pray over you too that you would receive today again and afresh the peace of Christ that can rule in your hearts. God's word says we were called to peace, 
And we are called to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. And so whatever hundreds of things might be going on in life right now, whatever difficulties and struggles and losses and fears and failures and sufferings, I just want to pray over you the peace of Jesus, that you would receive it and that you would know no matter what else is wrong in this world, that you are right with God and that his favor rests on you. And so God, I do pray. I pray that your peace would just transform our lives today in this season as we celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus. God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for coming, Jesus, to Bethlehem. But thank you for coming to us. You are God with us, Emmanuel. And we praise your holy name. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.